This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit Jiffy Lube. Yeah, we're good to go. Can you hear us okay, Ian? I can hear you very well. It's a beautiful level. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm excited, Musa. Hyped. Actually, yeah, I'm me so too. I'm very hyped. <laughs> I, um, I'll pretend I'm not hyped when we talk to him, but... Yeah, we yeah, have, we've, got to, we've got to play cool. Is that we've a play, play cool. cool? We have a very special guest today joining us because it's FA Cup weekend. Chelsea taking on Arsenal, Arsenal taking on Chelsea. And so our guest today is none other than the very special Mr. Ian Wright. Ian Wright. Yeah, someone who was involved in five FA Cup finals, including the replays, two with Palace, two with Arsenal in 93. And then he was on the bench for the 98 one against Newcastle when Arsenal clinched the double. We don't really have any guests on Stadio. We've interviewed Ian Wright before back in November, I think it was. Is it November? My goodness. So yeah. Long ago. yeah, yeah. About the art of finishing. Yeah. It was really great. We did back-to-back interviews, one with Gary Lineker, one with Ian Wright about being a striker and the things they looked for and various things like that. And... Yeah, we're pretty lucky to have one of them returning. Yep. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it will be because it's Ian Wright, man. Exactly. Exactly. Vibes, vibes. Just getting my uh, fanboy stuff out of the way. Exactly. Before we bring him in. <laughs> Actually, got us, is there any, any admin before we get into it? Just get straight into it. Uh, any admin, just the usual. If you want to buy the theme music, stadio.bandcamp.com, that would be really helpful. We're donating all the money. It's three euros minimum. Also, obviously, we play out on stuff each week. We do a Spotify playlist with all of the outros plus stuff that we've played on the Stadio sessions. So if you search Stadio outros on Spotify, it should come up and then you can link to the Stadio account through there, find the other ones. We also playlisted our What If episodes into yep. one playlist. So they're all there. But yeah, should we bring Mr. Ian Wright in? Let's do it. Let's get into it. Hey, Ryan. Hum. Hello, Ian Wright. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Moose? I'm very good indeed. Very good. <laughs> Moose is always all right. It's just really cool. You know, when you just see people, just instantly, you just start smiling. Vibes. It's really weird. Because when, when I listen to the podcast, as soon as it comes on, and you're right, Ryan, you should start it with Moose's laugh. Because as soon as, soon as the podcast starts, I'm not joking, I instantly smile. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. I'm going to tell my mum you said that. She's going to be so proud of me. Tell your mum, man. Tell her. <laughs> that has given me so much joy. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. You look very well. Very good, in fact. I feel good. At, I feel good at the moment. I've only got this uh, the FA Cup to go, and then 
is back to becoming Tiger Woods. I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Golf. How is, how is the handicap? My handicap is at the moment, I can't lie. I'm playing so well. I'm afraid. I'm playing so well. I'm afraid. It's like, you know, when things are going well, I'm one of those people that when things are going well. It's like when I was at school in the classroom, something went wrong. I instantly know I didn't do it, but I, I think I, I, I feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. I feel that when I'm playing well, something's going to go wrong with my golf game. <laughs> Everything's well. I'm driving it well. My second shot's good. My chipping's good. And I'm putting very well because I bought this, I bought the most expensive putter in the world, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> I still, my wife, I still wife, she still doesn't know. Um, I told her they gave it to me. <laughs> if she finds out what this putter costs, I wouldn't even say it. I'm embarrassed to tell people, but... You're hiding in plain sight. You're hiding in plain hiding sight. In, yeah, but the thing is, this is the way of, of, of softening the blow. Just in case, you know what I mean? She knows, but the fact is, is that I, I'm, I'm so pleased that it's coming to the end where I can totally shut off from football because I do need at least... I only need a week, just like mm. when I was playing. I need a week of no football or no nothing, and then I am literally need football. Literally need football <laughs> like a drip. If I was in Austria, I need it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it. Well, we've got a pretty big game to, yeah. to send you off on. Yeah, I know, I know. And I'm very excited. Yeah? I'm meeting Chelsea fans on a regular basis, just saying to me all the time, we're going to hammer you. We're going to hammer you. I'm just like, <laughs> it's really horrible. It's, this, this is that part of the time where when they're saying that, because you, I don't know what Arsenal's turning up, so is it going to be the Arsenal that's going to defend them amazingly and we only get a couple of chances like Manchester City and we beat them? Or is it going to be the, 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 the Arsenal that can't break down Aston Villa? Mm. It can't be the Arsenal that can't break down Aston Villa because Chelsea will at least try and, and take beat us, won't they? Yeah. So that's going to leave, leave them open. And come on, man, Christensen, you know, even Rudiger, who I like, you know, Kurt Zuma, you know, you, you get to those guys quick. They're causing them problems. The strikers talk like before a big game like this, a big final. Will other final with other strikers from other teams like be like, you know what? Like this guy might give you something. Is it like that? Is there like a community of strikers that get together? No, there's not a community of strikers that get together. But when you get to when you go to England, you all right. know who the who the guys are. You all know who what like someone like Frank LeBeouf. Frank LeBeouf is somebody that um, for some reason he, he kicked the hell out of Dennis but he wouldn't want me anywhere near him. And if I went near him, he'd talk to me. Hey, how are you? Come on, sir. Come on. <laughs> you know? Because, you know, ça va? Bien? I say, yeah. Ça va bien? Très bien. Et tu? You know what I mean? I say, oh, fuck you. But like, I would, he would, I would still, if I got a chance, I'd leave something on him. So all the strikers, you know, Shearer, Sharon, everybody, no matter who you are, you would go for the weakest defender because you'll get something. I'm not going to go and stand on Virgil van Dyke. <laughs> That's just stupid. You know what I mean? You do everything you can, even if it means I'm going to go and stand there. And if, if, cause remember their coach will say to them as well, because of the pace or something, just swap over. So I would, what you do, you go on a pitch and then you know, it's, I will know instantly if Virgil van Dyke is going to have to pick me up because I'll go and stand on um, Joe Gomez or something like that, and Virgil van Dijk, they'll swap. Then you know, okay, he's definitely the weak link because they put the best player on me. So then you know that any opportunity you can, keep them switching. So keep Virgil van Dijk having to go from there. If I go that side, then they've got to switch. So it's kind of like, it's kind of throwing them a bit, you know? It's like when there's a corner. Like what used to do when there was a corner against us? You know that they you stay back and you've got... One defender there, one behind, so as they keep watching you because they know you've got the pace. So all I would do, I'd just walk towards him and then the guy who's with me saying, he's coming over. And as soon as he said he's coming over, I'd walk back. So he would have to say, he's coming back. And so then all these, so you just keep doing stuff. Then you go forward and he says, he's coming inside. So that the midfielder who's there, he has to look around. So you just keep them all having to, yeah, he's, he's coming to the right. Keep them doing something. Wow. Yeah. And I used to love doing that. He's coming up. As soon as he says he's coming up, go back. He's coming back. It's like a game. <laughs> so you were around for what? Four finals? Yes. No, five technically with the replays, right? Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. Played in yes. four of them. Yes. I only didn't play the Newcastle one, mm. which is a really strange one. That's actually where I wanted to begin. Yeah. Because 
So many people, when they talk about Ian Wright and the FA Cup final, they talk about the Palace United game. Yes, yes. You know, a lot of people know what the FA Cup means to a lot of players from a professional footballing sense, but we're all human beings and we know Mm. how we feel on the morning of the FA Cup final. So I suppose the first question I wanted to ask you was, does breakfast on the morning of the 98 final taste the same as it does on the morning of the 90 final? No. Because you've got all of your finals I found really interesting. They come Mm. at very different points in your career. Yeah. So I wanted to see how you felt from the 98 final perspective first, weirdly, and then we'll go back. It's really weird because like when you're going into a final and it was really strange because I remember training on a Thursday when Dennis got injured. I was just getting back from injury because I injured for after that season. And um, when Dennis got injured, it's really strange because as much as I was like, oh my God, Dennis isn't, Dennis is injured. He's not going to play. My first thing was Dennis is not going to play. But then my second thing was, oh, I might play now because for some reason, Arsene Wenger kind of had me behind Christopher Vray and, and, and Nicholas and Nelka and stuff. So when Dennis weren't playing, I thought, well, I'm probably going to play up top. When I didn't get the call, I was devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, and not realising that it would have probably been, it would have been my last game for Arsenal. I just thought, right, well, I'll come off the bench and score then. I'll come off the bench and do something. So the breakfast in 98 is nothing like breakfast in 1990, my first one. Mm-hmm. Because even though I was substituting that one because of the, the um, my, my leg was broken twice that season, the fibula. I couldn't, I didn't eat. Really? Because I couldn't swallow. Oh my God. It was really strange because even when, when we had, what did I have? Scrambled eggs. And we had it there. Literally try to eat it. You know, when you've got something in your mouth, like when you're, I don't know, because you, I don't know you've got kids, but when you've told, you will eat that broccoli, <laughs> you will eat it. Like my daughter, I have to do with her now. To the point where it goes to liquid. You've had it in your mouth so long. I literally yeah. could not swallow so I didn't actually eat I can't remember eating in 1990 I think in um in 94 with Sheffield Wednesday I definitely ate because mm. I knew what it was about but in 1990 because of the the what the FA Cup meant to me from the first one I watched was the one where I think Alan Clark scored a diving header it might have been against Arsenal 1970 Mick yeah. Jones broke his arm when he crossed it remember that guy yeah Leeds yeah. Leeds, Leeds, Leeds Arsenal, and yeah. I watched the FA Cup from then and I remember the first time I saw the goals at Wembley, I just thought, I just want to score in those goals. Because you know when you score a goal in the, 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 the when someone scored a goal in, at Wembley, the net was just beautiful and tight. It was, it was tight. Yeah. There was, it was, I don't know, it didn't go in and nestle. It, it, it was Wembley. It, I don't know what yeah. it was, but... Slightly curved poles and they were green, right? Yeah, and the, the, even when we walked out with, with Palace, and, you know, goals are all the same size everywhere mm-hmm. in the world. When I walked out to the goals at Wembley, they felt like they were like 20 foot tall because, like, it was Wembley. It was the Wembley goals. I looked at the goals and it's just so big. I was looking in the goal, looking at it. It just looked like there's so much space in this goal. And then I remember touching it. I said, this is the goal what Jeff Hurst scored in for the World Cup. You're thinking things like that. So I didn't even realise I didn't eat that day. It's only once we finished and I ate something, but I literally couldn't understand how, my God, this pitch, it's weird. It's so spongy. Mm. The pitch was like, I don't know. It's it's like um, walking on on a trampoline for a bit because when you walk on it it's like a sponge and I was like this is just amazing and then you'd stay this end look up there and it's like it goes on forever yeah wow did that help you for the pace as well for your sprinting did that with, 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 with the spongy feel no because I remember remember I came on in that game three minutes I scored but I couldn't breathe because it's almost like the sponginess saps your energy because I remember Steve Koppel talking about it he says Take your time in it. Do not do too many sprints if you don't have to because you're going to lose your first wind. Take your time to get into it because there is something about the spongy pitch where it saps your energy. And remember, I hadn't played too much. So when I came on, I was literally... my. my I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've run so much that it burns when you're... Mm. It's burning. That's what was happening to me. And I'd already scored. And I could feel it. I said, I've got him. What's happening to me? I couldn't get the win. Yeah, but I mean, you'd been out for 10 games, right? I had been out for 10 games, but you know something? It was emotional. Right, yeah. Because I was fit. I was fit than most of the guys because I'd done so much work leading in. 
was fitter, physically fitter, but not match fit. Right. But like, I, I literally couldn't breathe because it was burning. It was burning me. It, went, it was too much for me, Musa. Ryan, it was too, even, the, even the, the, the white tunnel, listening to the studs, it was something that when I was younger, because oh, I didn't have screwing studs for a long time because they were so expensive when we were younger. Yeah. And when you're younger, you'd hear the guys come into the tunnel with their beautiful kits and their new boots. Everybody had new boots. And then when they started walking, the sound of the studs, Jesus. This is the thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit. So when you go back there in 93 with Arsenal, because you also do the League Cup final. Yes. Was that your first time back at Wembley in a final um, after the Palace United yeah. game? Uh, did we go back in there? No, we played in a, a Zenith Data final. Oh, the big one. The Palace against Everton. Yeah, the massive one. I scored two in that final. And one of them, I can't ever find a goal. And it was one of the best goals I ever scored because I think of it all the time because I went through and Neville South was in goal. And I just flicked it with my left foot, boom, boom, just without even thinking. And he was on his way out. By the time it was past him, I can't find the goal anywhere. Is that like the goal equivalent of like a, a rare US issue of like a Soul 7 that's got a it's, specific B-side on the back? It's like, thank you. you'll find it in one can't old like yeah. charity shop in Philadelphia Honestly, that's the only I, copy left. I, anybody, I guarantee you, any striker, I'll show that to any of our guys. I'll show it to Sheeran, Lineker, Sheeran, Fowler, anybody. Say, so, oh, right, great finish. It was one of the best finishes because me being right-footed, the ball coming, and I just flicked it with my left foot from just going into the edge and never saw, it would literally trickle past him because he wasn't expecting it. Yes. I've never, I've can't, I can't remember it. No one could find it. Zenith Poor Data system goal. But like, I, I, I left Neville come dumbfounded a few times. <laughs> you caused him some grief, man, in his career. I mean, he was an amazing keeper, but you caused him some grief. He was a great keeper. Cool. I, yeah, Everton was my team. But what was the point I was making? See, I've digressed where we started. Um, no, no, about. I was saying that. So basically, when you go back there with Arsenal for the, let's say the FA Cup final in 93, yeah. and yeah. you were talking then about, you know, you couldn't eat, mm. how much it was kind of sapping your energy. You've played there for England by now. You'd played mm. there a few more times. You'd played in the League Cup final. You'd been back there. And obviously you'd moved to Arsenal and you'd been there a couple of years at that point. Does it become almost like learned behavior at that point? How different is the process? The process is, is, this is where when people talk about, yeah, they've been there before, they know what it's like, but they've not been there, so they won't know. And that's what we were. Man United knew what it was like when we went to Palace. Just like um, a, a lot of the Arsenal, like a lot of the Arsenal guys have played at Wembley a few times, played at, um, for England. And some of the Sheffield Wednesday players played as well. But mm. for me, I'd been there. I know what Wembley's like. I know how it's going to be. I know the sapping. I know the goals now. I'm scoring the goals. I know what it's like. And you're going as favourites. And you're going in as, a, as an Arsenal player that people are expecting to score, mm. you know? And, you know, it was, it was a tough time because I I, this was the time when I had the six injections in a week because I had to, my ankle was so bad. My toe was broken and my arch was collapsed. So I couldn't actually even... When I got to Wembley for Sheffield Wednesday... You know, George Graham said, I need you to just walk into the, into the changing room because I don't want people to see you limping or anything. So I literally had to get off the coach and act like I was all right. I literally go through the door and Gary Lewin literally held me because I couldn't stand up. I had to oh. wait for the um, injections to set in. Then I was able to go out and warm up. And so I had all this in my mind and the guys constantly saying all week, right, you're going to play, you're going to be there, you're going to play. So yeah, yeah, if they can sort the injections out, I'll play, no problem. And so to go into it, knowing everything what I knew, I was more worried about, is my ankle going to last? Right. Than am I going to score? Because in my mind, there's no one in their team that like bothered me, didn't mm. care about any of them. And so I'm saying, if I get the chance, I'm going to make sure I score. I'm going to score. And so I was only worried, is my ankle going to last? That's all I was worried about. I wasn't worried about anything else. Wasn't worried about the preparation, anything. I felt like now that I was, I, I was an experienced player going to Wembley. How much did Wembley and the FA Cup final feel like your, Wayne Rooney's mentioned this before, like it's your stage. When did Wembley feel like your stage? Once Palace got through, they beat Villa, uh, beat Villa, beat Liverpool at Villa Park. All of a sudden, something happens in me where your time has come. Your time is coming. Because I'm supposed to be at Wembley. I'm, my, it's my dream for my whole life. We lost, we lost to Liverpool 9-0 yeah. earlier in the season. Mm. I'm there thinking to myself, it's meant to be. I'm meant to be involved. I will, it's going to be all right. Remember at the time I was in a plaster cast. 
Mm. And the time when the Wembley final was meant to happen literally was to the day when I would be able to take the cast off, get myself fit, da-da-da, it's going to be that much time. But it's like, you know, I've done an interview, actually, where I said, yeah, I was born for this day. This is what it's about for me. I think if you look back and look at the interviews, I've seen it the other day, there's somebody showing, yeah, I said, this is what it's about for me. I was born for this day. And so I knew that something was going to happen once we beat, once we beat Liverpool at Aston Villa. I just felt it. Mm. This is pretty interesting. So there's a sense of destiny. So you achieve your destiny several times, it turns out, when you score Wembley. That moment, Ryan, was at, Ryan had a great um, suggestion for a question, so let's just throw it in. That moment when you know you've scored, when you know you've scored, and the rest of the crowd don't know yet, but you know because you struck it and it's on target. Because they're all miles away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does that, Ryan was like saying, like, how does that feel? Oh, you know, um, to try and explain, I'll tell you how I'll try and explain it because like you say, I remember, not even the replay, the first goal in the first game, what happens is Paul Davis takes the free kick and I think to myself, I'm just going to peel off of Warhurst. Just going to peel off of him because I know that Andy Linigan, Andy Linigan's got a good chance of winning. Andy Linigan wins it. And what happens, right? There's a moment where, so the ball's coming over to you so everybody in the crowd, you know, have gone like that. You feel it. And the only time it comes back is when it hits the net. So the ball comes over, bam, I'm getting ready to head it. And you can feel something go through. Because everybody's like, oh God, this is, this is it. So they stop, you head it, goes in, and that's the moment. I, I felt the moment when you feel the moment when it drops. Wow. So mm. when you head it and it goes in, that's the, 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 the euphoria. You feel it. It was tied into something else about, and you mentioned something earlier about like the size and the scale of Wembley. Yeah. I went to Wembley, the old Wembley, and I remember it didn't feel like being in a football stadium for me. It felt like being on another planet. There's a microsecond, maybe half a second, maybe, depending on which end you score in, where you know, and it's almost Mm. like, there's like a moment of peace that you know what you've done, but no one else has. And it's then the wave comes after. I hear what you're saying, Ryan, and I'll tell you, it's better to explain it in the replay goal. Yeah. Um, because the one with the header, it happens very quickly. But like I say, mm. because you see the ball coming, all I'm thinking when Andy Linnigan heads it is to head it back over there. You know, just head it back over there. Chris Wood saves it, brilliant. But when it comes and I head it, there's a moment of silence that, that because everybody can see it and the Arsenal fans are in that end. But in the replay for the goal, it's, it's longer mm. because... I remember the ball goes in, Tony Adams heads it, and Alan Smith does this, this, this just this beautiful flick, what he does. It's fantastic. And so what happens in this moment is that everybody now is, they go, they're excited because you're going through and it's you. But the, the silence, the bit comes as you get close to the goal. Once I get there, I remember Chris Woods, he came and stopped. So when I got close to him, once I got the ball, so I got there and it went over him there, I knew it was a goal. But they didn't because there's no way that Colton Palmer running back and Wallace running back could stop it. So once it got past Chris Woods, I knew it was a goal because all I said to myself, just don't hit him. It's too much goal behind him. Mm. So make sure you don't hit him. So I've got it through his body somewhere. This, I, I knew it was a goal. So then I started to wheel away. And then when you watch that back, it's just amazing. It felt like there was a million people in there because the camera goes all the way to the Arsenal fans. And it just seems like there's a million of them in there just jumping up. I didn't know what to do because I normally tr- run off and do a spin in the air. But when I went to do this, Kevin Campbell was already there. So I couldn't do the spin. <laughs> I didn't do the spin properly. But I remember watching the goal back and it clipped. It went from there to the fans and then back to, to us and that. But the moment when it went past Chris Woods, Ryan, is when you know, but they don't know yet. Mm, and they are miles away. They're miles away. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it 
you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sports are back and you can find all of the action on FanDuel. The MLB is here. The NBA is right around the corner. I'm excited to see if LeBron can maybe bring a championship to LA. Super excited to see how it all goes down. And whether you've been with FanDuel for a while or you're new to the experience, FanDuel has two great ways to win that you won't want to miss. First off, FanDuel is adding $10 in free bets to every account. No deposit required and no strings attached. In addition to your $10 bonus, FanDuel is also giving you a day of risk-free betting. That means you can place any bets you want on baseball, basketball, and hockey and get up to $100 back on your total losses. If you already have a FanDuel Sportsbook account, then you're all set. Just use your $10 bonus and day of risk-free betting before they expire on August 2nd. And if you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, then what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with promo code RINGERFC so they know we sent you. That's promo code RINGERFC. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia, and Colorado. Offer ends August 2nd, 2020. $100 max refund issued in site credit and expires in seven days. $10 bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires on August 2nd, 2020. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. When you came to these big occasions, how did the other players react? What was notable? Who changed the most? Who was like more intense than usual? Who was more relaxed? What did you see in your sort of fellow players? Tony Adams was intense in those finals. Wow. Yeah. Dave Seaman literally was half asleep. He was so calm. So you can always look over at Dave Seaman. It's just like another game to him. Tony Adams was about the final. This is it. This is it. What are you willing to do to make sure that we are winning? What are you willing to do? Don't leave it in here. I don't want to hear people shouting and screaming in here. What are you willing to do when we get out there? Because that's how you win. That extra five yards, are you willing to do it? Those are the kind of things what Tony would say. Those kind of things, just before you go out and say, yeah, I don't want to, you know. And Tony would say things like, we keep this close. We keep this close because if we keep this close, we know we can score with right. He would say things like that. Lee Dixon's very quiet. Nigel Winton quiet. Merce. Merce was just like, you know, it, it, it'd be a walk, just walking around, like just walking back and forth. It's a different kind of um, preparation in the final, simply because you have to do things to time. You have to go out at a certain time because they've mm. been banned. You've got a certain p- p- procession going. You've got some kind of 
kids thing going on. So it messes up the routine. You haven't got your normal routine of when you chill, right, I go out now and it's not, you can't do it. You have to go out together. Um, and so it kind of messes everything up. So you're seeing people differently. But like, I remember in, in that final, and especially in the, in the final when I was watching Copenhagen, it's brilliant. Um, just watching people, how they turn into something else. You can see that they're not them. They're not them. They're that person who's going to go out and has to do what he's doing. So you're seeing them in their rawest form, stripped bare, and it's pure emotion you're seeing. You're seeing people's faces, you know, sitting there, seeing people just staring into nothing, staring into the into the into the to the abyss like that, just staring. You know, someone like Nigel just staring. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, you know, just thinking about the game and what's going on. You know what I mean? I, I quite liked it because I, I tried to take in all the moments of the final. So then when people talk about it, like we're talking about it now, yeah, I can remember what's going on because with Palace, can't remember because it was too unbelievable to be playing against Manchester United after broke your leg for Crystal Palace at Wembley. It's too unbelievable to take it in. But by the time I went with Sheffield to play against Sheffield Wednesday, I was more... Yeah, I'm ready for this. So you're watching people, seeing what it's about. I just remember like um, just being so excited and tingly and weird. (laughs) Did that change? Not with the final. Mm. Because I think that what you're trying to do as well, and when I say about people being as raw as they are, is because it's it's, it's a seminal moment. It's going to be a moment in your life that you're never going to forget, whether you win or lose. And after the Crystal Palace one, I wanted to make sure that I remembered all of those, what it was like. How did I prepare for that one? Because I felt really cool and calm in that one, whereas in that one I didn't. I felt, like, really nervous. Like, when we played Zaragoza in Paris, I was on edge. Scored in every round, but I was on edge in that final. I felt nervous. I don't know what it was. Um, In the end, you know, I mean, we lost how we did with Naeem's goal. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because I wasn't as confident in us. I don't, don't know, but I didn't have the same kind of preparation with the confidence. I didn't score in it. Can't remember too many chances in it. And it's one of those that I, I like to forget simply because we lost the game. But mm. I know that I didn't prepare the same. I know I didn't feel the same. Um, and I was trying to be cool and calm because I had a lot of people talking about me. And I think the forward, I can't remember the forward for them, is scored in every every round as well. That's Snyder, wasn't it? Snyder, man. I scored in every round of me and him that was, was talking about it. So I was going into that game thinking, yeah, why, why shouldn't I feel confident? So I'll just take it in stride. But it wasn't as, I don't know, I didn't feel something. Yeah. Do you think that maybe plays into something about how players will psychologically or subconsciously like grade finals in their head? Maybe like this final means a lot more yeah, to you yeah. than another one. I think so, because I remember going through it, even even this, even before before I got suspended, because remember I got suspended for, for the Copenhagen. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about not being able to score against certain players. It was the same thing with England, not scoring enough goals for England. So I think that my main thought process was, you know, I'm going to show them that, yeah, I, I could score in finals, I score in big games. And I just wanted to be cool and calm about it. Like, yeah, I'm going to take this in my stride, like our... A top strike, how you should, because what are you going to do? You're going to, you can't get all nervous and tense because if you're nervous and tense, you're going to be nervous and tense in front of the goal. But all the time I was playing in that particular game, what we lost, all I was thinking about was I just want half a chance. Just give me half a chance. Yeah. But like, yes, Ryan, when it comes to the final and it's a European final, you know that more people are watching, you know you're going to get judged more on how you play. Oh, we didn't quite play well in that one because the players are better and this and that. Yeah, you're thinking about things like that. You know, you're a marked man because you've scored in every, in every round up to that point. But you, you do grade them, of course. It's like mm. playing in the FA Cup, you know that everybody's watching and it's a big game. You want people to say, yeah, he, he's not afraid of a big occasion. He's not afraid of it. That's what you want people to say, you right. know. So right. you don't want to be missing chances in a big game. Smith must score and he misses. Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah. that would kill me. That would haunt me forever. Well, actually, I wanted to get onto that because there are actually a couple of games. There's a League Cup final. Well, Anelka misses a big chance in 98. Shearer hits the post in 98. Um, you had a really good chance early on in the League Cup final against Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. You obviously did recover from missing chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how did you bounce back? How quickly? How long do you carry a, a miss? I don't carry a miss. I remember watching, you, you, you carry a miss because you naturally have, you've just missed. So yeah, it's there. But the thing is, is that what you want to do is you want to make the fans know that I'm not bothered about missing that. That's why I won't right. see me putting my hands on my 
I'm like, oh, oh. You know, I remember watching Kerry Dixon early, um, Kerry Dixon times. Yeah. He missed a, a good chance as well. It was a, not a glaring one, but for Kerry Dixon, it was an easy chance. And he missed a chance and you would have thought that he never had a chance. He's, wow. His demeanour didn't change. His face didn't change. He just turned around and walked back. And it's something that I kept because I didn't want, not just because I didn't want the fans to think, oh my God, he's going to be so scared for his next chance. Is he going to be retake? Because that's what you're doing. Mm. When you're doing, when you're, when you miss a chance and you go, oh, you're telling fans, oh no, I missed that chance. If I get another one, am I going to take it? No. I like to think that Arsenal fans will think that if I'm going through a one-on-one, even for they think I'm going to score because I think I'm going to score. So even if I have a chance, especially when you've got Dennis Burkamp behind you, you're going to get another one. Yeah. yeah. So why, why worry about, oh, I've missed a chance. Oh, God. No, I wasn't bothered about it. It's like when Tiger Woods saying, when he's finished that hole, he has 10 steps, that hole's gone. I, I'm so pleased that I had something in me where I knew that, oh, I've missed that chance. It's okay, I'll get another one in a minute and I'll, I'll, I'll score that one. You know, so I don't know where that came from, but it's probably seeing Kerry Dixon do that and not being afraid to me. I wasn't as afraid to miss. That's the problem. That's amazing. You tend to find that sometimes people go to an FA Cup final, maybe a couple of years on the bounce or two out of three. But I think with you, it's so interesting because they're like three very different periods of your career under three very, very different managers. And how different their team talks were for the FA Cup finals. What was Steve's like compared to what were George's like and then Arsene's? You know something? Um, I remember Steve Koppel. <laughs> Steve Koppel went on the, this, is, this could be a once in a lifetime opportunity for you. Just do yourself proud. Just do, you know, play well. Play well for your teammate. Make it, you know, enjoy the day. Da, 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 da. All that sort of stuff. And it was brilliant and it was rousing. It was beautiful. Then he left us. He said, okay, I'm just going to leave you guys just to be in there. And when he left us, it was so funny because you're thinking that someone's going to do some, okay, guys. It was fucking hilarious because nobody said anything. You're just looking around at each other. Everyone's looking around at each other. Come on, let's go. But it was one of those moments where it was quite funny because Steve Koppel done this brilliant speech. Then he said, I'm just going to leave you guys together because this is a moment you'll never forget. You're, you're in, inextricably linked for the rest of your lives because of this moment. You know, so I'm going to leave you guys. All the coaching staff left. <laughs> left us. We were like this. <laughs> um, George Graham was totally different um, because he didn't, even, we didn't even, he didn't even let us buy suits, which is a tradition. You have a, a, um, an FA Cup final suit. It happens. Mm. Since I was, I've been watching that since I was eight. So when he said we wasn't having, I was devastated. We had to wear the same um, Arsenal uniform we wore for every game that season. Yeah, the club wow. suit, right? We wore the club yeah. suit, which was like, we just thought you. you, you. <laughs> and, you know, you, you think back and it's probably, he was doing it because he wanted us to treat it as another game because we were favourites going into the game. But that's what the FA Cup's about. Mm. The suit, everybody looking the same. We're all one team. His team talk was more, right, how, how good we are and what we're capable of and how hard we are to beat and what, and what we can do. Don't worry about them. Yes, Chris Waddle. Yeah, they'll do, they'll do this and they'll do it. But he was just saying how good we are and what we should do and how, uh, how solid we're going to be at the back and how in the midfield we're not going give, to give them space. We're not going to give Chris Waddle space and keep an eye on David Hurst and this and that, all this sort of stuff. You know, he said those things, but all he was more, more all on about it's like how it'd be in a normal um, week, weekly game. Mm, yeah. Arsene Wenger was just fantastic. He was just like, it was so relaxed and cool. <laughs> this is why we play. This is why we play. But how? He just got there. He just got there. How was he so relaxed? He just got there. When Arsene Wenger got there from, say, Monday, he, he was, we know he's coming. He got there that Monday. So from that, we played a, a certain football that Monday. Then from this Monday, we were a different team. And that, and that showed in Tony Adams' his goal to, to clinch the league in 98. Right. right? Yeah. That's what, he changed the way we played instantly. He knows, I know all the players in here. I know how good we are. You're all great players. This is a final. You've all played in finals. You must enjoy this game. You know, make sure that when you think back and talk about this game, it's, it's with fond memories because you played well and your team played well. 
and you won the game. Arsene Wenger didn't speak much. He'd come in at halftime. I remember the first time when we was at Blackburn. He came in, didn't speak for 10 minutes. We didn't know what was going on. <laughs> he didn't speak for 10 minutes. Just, we all sat there. We realised that what he's doing is letting it sizzle. And then, you know, 10 minutes, then we got used to it. Then we all start talking to self. We need to do this because we need to do that. We need to talk that. And then afterwards, just like before we get out there, five minutes to go, we just start coming in and just telling people, I like what you're doing. I like the way you're playing. You're doing that. He says this and that, you know. Shall we squeeze? Let's squeeze properly so when, when we do get them, if we win, we can go straight in. It's just all pure efficiency. No fact. Everything's lean, what he's saying. He's a lean guy, huh? Yeah, it's pure lean. It's like no wasted words. It's probably like how I heard Ray Clements talking about Bill Shankly. Everything he said, he looks back now and it was poetic and wonderful. That's why I look back at Wenger and everything now, it's just not a wasted word. So we were very comfortable in that final because everybody was majorly confident. We forget what amazing communicators and probably even writers might have been in, uh, these managers might have been in a different life. Some of my favorite, I mean, it's funny, one of my favorite French writers, a um, guy called Balzac and Balzac basically, he doesn't waste anything. You're talking about Wenger, I was thinking of Balzac thinking, this is exactly like, yeah. it's exactly his big Balzac energy. You know, the thing is as well, Ryan, just quickly, because I know you're Arsenal fan, is that it was so uncomfortable to speak about Arsene Wenger negatively mm. oh. towards the end. And in, in that time, there was not a lot of positivity and it was mm. very difficult. I don't know. It was, it was so, you, you felt like you're betraying somebody. Yeah. I remember one time he, he said to me, Ian, I know that anything you say is coming from a place of love for this club. I know what this club means to you. And I swear to God, Musa, it was it, I could have I could have burst into tears because it's almost like I don't know. I was watching a film when I was younger with Kirk Douglas, The Vikings, when Ernest Borgnine said he wanted to die with his sword, yeah. and it just felt like I just wanted Arsene Wenger to be able to die with his sword and be dignified and not be somebody that contributed to people saying, "Well, you said this and you said that." It was the most com- uncomfortable time of the whole time I've been doing punditry. Mm. because of what he done for me in my career and how I believe that he gave me an insight and a kind of ref, a, a refresh, refreshing zest for the game that I needed at that time when he came. So it was very difficult for me to see him going out like that. I don't think he felt that the club was ready to move on from him yet and that's why he stayed mm. those extra years because he was essentially doing yeah. five jobs. They've replaced him with five people. Right, he was no. a... He was a he was to the cause. Mm-hmm. Everything about Arsene Wenger and what he was doing was for the best in Arsenal's interest. Yeah. Could never fault him on that. Could never fault him on that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sorry. Sorry to digress. No, man. I just, I wanted to ask you one thing actually randomly about the, about the Wednesday finals. Mm. On a comedic tip. So obviously, like I mentioned mm. before, I went back and watched those finals beforehand. Uh, I'd like to raise a, little bit of a hot take here and that mm-hmm. that beloved Arsenal back five yes made some errors in both both of the Wednesday games and the Newcastle yeah. game that if they'd happened today Twitter would have melted down <laughs> I can't remember Martin Keogh had an absolute mare on one bit against Alan Shearer when he hit the post that one right. oh yeah, yeah. yeah and in the Wednesday games there was a couple well the Wednesday goal in the first game Yes. If that was Mustafi oh, instead of Tony was it, Adams. Was it, no, that was, um, was it David Hurst? Yeah. Yeah, Hurst scored, yeah, yeah. Completely yeah, free. Yeah. But uh, yeah. that was a little bit of a joke. There was one bit in the Wednesday game as well where I had to go back and double check it was you because Motti was like, and right again, you get the ball, I think, from Nigel Winterburn. You're just outside the Wednesday box. Mm. Get, he gives it to you and you play this one touch through ball that's like Ozil-esque. Mm-hmm. inside the left back and Winterburn's there again and he's like I'm right again I was like no way is that Ian right hang on a minute let's go back <laughs> you're a number eight it's like Iniesta <laughs> yeah. pulling passes on the edge of the box and, yeah but this is what's happened Ryan as the years have gone by you know I think somebody showed me a stat the other day. I've, I've only got 22 assists I'm very proud of that poor finishing from other people <laughs> that's exactly what it was yeah. but you know what I know that when I, I watched I remember I had to do something with Gary Neville it was Gary Neville's soccer box swing and they showed certain games and I'd done things in the game but now because the goals you score 
people totally forget mm. the kind of player you were. Mm. You know what I mean? And how hard I worked so hard on linking up and final pass to other people. Yeah. I worked on that in training every single day because it was the weakness. I came from, came from Sunday morning football. I never had any coaching in how do you, I, have to, I learned everything in getting up against the defender, turning sideways, holding the ball off, linking play, learning how to roll in, knowing when to go in that way, to come that way, to lay it off one touch so you can go back that way, learning all on the job. So, you know, when I d- used to do all those things, nobody remembers any of my, my, that stuff. And you know what? It's fine because then people don't come up and say, oh my God, your link up play was shit. You were terrible. Can't say that. Can't say that. So I'm quite pleased about that. But like, I'm pleased you say that, Ryan, because people don't realize that I, I, I played as well. Because when I was younger, I loved trying to do free balls. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I, that's why when I talk about midfielders, People talking the other day, I mean, people talking shit about Bruno Fernandes. Oh my God, he gives the ball away so much. Gives the ball away trying to do something positive. Yeah. I don't know if you've been listening recently, but Moose is on this weird kind of quest to turn every single striker into a number eight at some point. <laughs> so if you were playing nowadays, we'd be on the podcast being like, Moose was like, you know what? I actually think Ian Wright isn't an out and out number nine. He's a number eight. He's an eight. He's an eight. He's an eight. <laughs> if Pep had signed him, he'd be playing at Man City with De Bruyne as an eight. Wow. He would. <laughs> and everyone's just like, Musa, what the hell are you on about? <laughs> you know, I was thinking even the other day, you're watching Pep, I w- would Pep have me in his team? Because if he's got Aguero in his team, I'm wondering if Pep would have me in his team. I'd love, I just think I could, but probably I'd love to play for No, but you, with Pep it'd be easy. Do you know why? Because Pep would just use you as a wide forward alongside <laughs> Sterling. I, yeah. I, honestly. Yeah. Yes. Like- We're going to wrap this up because you've been super okay. generous with your time. Just like last time. But we've got no pie and mash to tuck into this time. You can always send some. You know where we are. You can send some. <laughs> <laughs> Musa, maybe you've got a final question, but I just wanted to ask one final one where it was more like, say, saying someone in 1989 had, given, had told you how it was going to be and it had played out this, mm. this way, would you have taken it? I'd have probably wanted to win the final for Palace. Mm. That's, about, that's about the only thing mm. um, I would have changed. You know, because I think that when you do end up and I've won everything domestically and the Cup Winners' Cup. I'm not going to be too greedy because these great players have not won the league. Yeah. But, um, it's only because of the, no, I know what we were capable of, but if I could have had one thing, I would have probably wanted to win the FA Cup with Palace because I think that where we came from um, and the team that um, Steve Coppel built, and that was the crescendo. We finished third in the first division um, the year when I, I, I left. And that, the year before I think we finished third, I got to the FA Cup final. That team deserved something. Yeah. Mm. It deserved something. It was a good team, that. Yeah. People class that final as a bit of a massive, massive no. kind of plucky underdog yeah. story, but that was a good, yeah. good team. Yeah. Really, really good team we had. Musa, you got a final question? Yeah, just a quick last one. So this is after the tournament, after winning the FA Cup. You know, we obviously see you celebrate on the pitch, but we don't see you once you leave the ground, once you leave the stadium. Who and where did it mean the most to share that trophy with? I got a phone call from my ex-teacher, Mr. Pigden, after the first game. That's the best thing that's ever happened. Oh, man. He was the one who used to tell me about finishing like Jimmy Greaves. And he was the one that always told me about finishing beautifully. Finish beauty, make people think, make the goalkeeper have no chance in. So I was, I was proud that he was proud that, um, you know, I got to that kind of level. Then when you look back at it, you know, obviously my Sunday morning, Sunday team managers, obviously all the man them. You know what yeah. I mean? They're all proud because they see, my God, I was playing against him not long ago and he's playing at Wembley scoring two goals. So when you go back in the community, it was, it was a beautiful thing. It was, it was wonderful. I was quite proud of that, but probably say the teacher, my teacher, yeah. going back to Turnham School was, uh, was, it was a really good moment for me. Oh, Ian, that was oh, always... A- Thanks so much, man, again. That was amazing. My pleasure, guys. It's just, it's just really weird to be actually on here listening to your voices, talking to me when I normally hear you lot talking to each other. <laughs> oh, you're too kind, man. You're too kind. You're too kind. Well, I'm loving it, man. I'm really We're strangers it. become friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio, at Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is the website and also the ringer.com forward slash soccer. All right. So I'm going to hand over my usual bit. Yeah. Take it away. Okay, we're going to go out on a cool tune by Mark Apani. I believe in miracles. Hope you enjoy. We're back on Monday. 
I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.